This is episode 554 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, How to Survive a Nuclear Disaster. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, this episode is sponsored by the HydroBlue VersaFlow water filter. Now, I've created a free video and PDF tutorial that shows you how to easily turn the VersaFlow into a family-sized water filter. And right now, you can have this water filter for under $25. Now, to watch the video, get the free PDF tutorial, and a code for 20% off of the VersaFlow, click the link in the show notes or visit PrepperWebsite.com forward slash VersaFlow. All right, everyone, let's go ahead and jump into our article of the podcast. It comes to us from TheSimplePrepper.com, and the title is How to Survive a Nuclear Disaster. Now, you might think, okay, Todd, I don't see any bombs going off anytime soon or anything like that. But that's not the only time you need to be concerned about things going nuclear. So let's go ahead and jump into this and you'll see what I'm talking about. Again, thesimpleprepper.com, how to survive a nuclear disaster. With the advent of nuclear technologies, the threat to everyone is unfortunately very real. If you are truly going to prepare for the nuclear threat, you must understand all the possible outcomes to be best prepared. Now, when you hear the words nuclear disaster, most people start thinking about a nuclear strike from a foreign country. However, the threat of a nuclear disaster is much more than just nuclear weapons and war. In fact, you could have a serious nuclear threat right in your backyard. If that's the case, you need to know how to react and what you need on hand to stay alive through the radiation and fallout. So the top three known threats of nuclear disaster. Number one, nuclear power plants. There are nearly 100 active nuclear, nuclear power plants in our nation. These power plants supply millions of Americans with power each day, and they are simply benign in the landscape and in how they affect our daily lives. However, the greatest nuclear disasters of the 21st century did not happen on the battlefield. Rather, they happened at a nuclear power plant in Japan, so that's Fukushima in 2011, and of course Chernobyl in 1986. Both are catastrophic nuclear accidents that have left irreparable damage to their surrounding areas. So experts estimate it will take 20,000 years before the 19-mile radius around Chernobyl is safe for habitation by humans. So that's crazy. And I know there's been some, I've seen some videos and things like that of wild animals that are, you know, living in Chernobyl and somehow they've adjusted, but they have, you know, they have issues as well. And so, you know, there's all that, there's cancer because of the radiation and things like that, that people have, have lived with all those, you know, because they were there when that, when that stuff went down. So uh, truly, you know, one of those things when, when you hear that there's a hundred nuclear power plants in the United States, it's one of those things that gets you thinking is like, whoa, wait a minute. You don't always think about things like that. All right. So what's number two? Number two is terrorists. While the threat of terrorists is very real, their current capacity seems to be limited to things like guns and trucks. Do you think it will be that way forever? Sad to say, but the day may come 
when we see an American city attacked by a dirty bomb. Now, the dirty bomb is an explosive device that contains radioactive material and is used to spread that radiation over a small area. It pales in comparison to the destruction and effect of a nuclear bomb, but in a small crowded area, the dirty bomb can do plenty of damage. The time may come when terrorists figure out how to incorporate nuclear capabilities into their arsenal, so take note. So there is a, there's a nuclear map that I'm going to mention here in a minute, and I've gone there many, many times in the past, but I was looking, because of the dirty bomb aspect of it, I was looking for, you know, if they had the yield of a dirty bomb, and they don't. The smallest one that they have is like, uh, I think it's 200 200 kilotons, I think, is what it was. I might be wrong on the on the kiloton part, but it's called the Davy Crockett, and it's very very small. It's the smallest nuclear bomb, I guess that that was you know uh, detonated, and so I detonated it in the middle of Houston because in this in this map you can do that. Like you can call up your city and you can use different bombs and see you know where the blast would be and where the radiation would go and all that kind of stuff. And it's not very it's not a very big, you know, even that small one, there's not a very big area where radiation would go. But there are so many other things that you have to deal with. You're going to deal with the destruction to uh, buildings and you're going to deal with the dead. You're going to deal with the fact that people aren't going to want to go downtown. Like if it happened downtown because of the radiation, how long would that radiation take? You're going to talk about the prevailing winds and where where it takes, although a dirty bomb is blasting pretty much, you know, down to the ground, it's still winds going to still pick up that stuff and radiation and take it with it if it's blowing, right? And where it goes and then, you know, where does it go from there? Does it go into the water? And, you know, all that kind of stuff you're dealing with. So it's not just the fact of the immediate dirty bomb issue. There's a lot of other things that you're going to be dealing with. So um, that that map, I'm going to talk about it here in just a minute. But if you've never gone there, it's just it's pretty fascinating because all the known uh, bombs, I guess, you know, nuclear warheads or whatever, the really big ones, like I think uh, Russia has one that's 50 megatons. Right. You can set that off and see where, you know, what kind of damage it would do. Anyway, the, the third thing, let's go ahead and jump to that one. The third thing is, of course, war. So we are still facing the threat of nuclear war, even after all these years and the understanding that an all-out nuclear war could mean the end of humanity. It's hard not to envision a future war where both sides are pushed to the brink and start lobbing nukes at one another. Whether we are facing the growing contingent of radical dictatorial leaderships or some other nation-state, nuclear war is far from a thing of the past. So how far-reaching is nuclear fallout? We all need to get real when it comes to the conversation of radioactive fallout. While it can be very dangerous, fallout itself requires the right conditions. Of the various nuclear threats we face, only one version is going to produce a large cloud of nuclear fallout. According to Dave Jones, a longtime military man and expert in the field, a surface-detonated nuclear bomb is the only tool that is going to send that plume of radiated material high enough into the sky that it will rain down for miles. Dave also mentions that the most likely form of detonation in a large city in America would be in a delivery truck at ground level. So, there is validity in being prepared for fallout depending on how far from a city you might be. And again, the nuke map, uh, there's a picture of the nuke map here. 
So one of the best ways for a civilian to understand the effects of radioactive fallout on their town is to use NukeMap. This is a free service that allows you to simulate a detonation of powerful nuclear weapons across a map of your area. So aside from offering up information on immediate damage, it also shows the full scope and direction of radioactive fallout. You can detonate powerful weapons in the most populated city or army base in your area and see if the fallout reaches your home. You may be out of range of this threat altogether. So what happens if you are exposed to nuclear fallout? As bad as nuclear fallout sounds, you may be surprised at the simple methods that can be used to mitigate the risk and exposure. If you find yourself exposed to nuclear fallout, like ash, rain, radiation, etc., it can be managed by simply removing your clothes and leaving them outside or in a rubber-made container and promptly taking a soapy shower. Doing this with a protective respirator on will assure the fallout doesn't get inside the body. Once you have been washed off, you are free of the debris that has been touched by the radiation. Thus, the radioactive fallout is gone. Only when you are trapped outside in the fallout does it really become an issue. So symptoms of radiation sickness. If you or someone you love has been affected by nuclear fallout, you should know how to identify the symptoms. You're going to be feeling a lot of things in a nuclear disaster. Feeling sick from stress, emotional drain, and downright terror could all make you feel like you're sick. This is a list of symptoms attributed to radiation sickness. Extreme fatigue, ringing in your ear, frequent cold or increased infections, unexplained bleeding or small red spots on your skin, fever or burns, headache or confusion, and nausea, vomiting, or bloody diarrhea. So how do you set up a radiation shelter in your home? While you may think that the only way to survive the effects of nuclear fallout is buried deep in an emergency shelter, you are wrong. In fact, every American is completely capable of setting up their own in-home fallout shelter and waiting out the radiation. Just to be clear, I'm talking about surviving nuclear fallout, not a nuclear blast. If you find yourself in the blast area, unfortunately, there's nothing you can do to survive. Beyond the blast radius, radiation from a blast will not last forever, contrary to popular belief. In fact, levels can seriously decrease in matters of hours. Check out FEMA's guidelines on the 7 to 10 rule. The 7 to 10, this is a quote, I guess, from FEMA. The 7 to 10 rule of thumb states that for every 7-fold increase in time after detonation, there is a 10-fold decrease in the exposure rate. In other words, when the amount of time is multiplied by 7, the exposure rate is divided by 10. For example, let's say that 2 hours after detonation, the exposure rate is 400, and I'm assuming that is radiation per hour or rads per hour. I'm not 100% sure. So anyway, 400 uh, per hour. After 14 hours, the exposure rate will be one-tenth as much, or 40 rads or radiation per hour. As you can see, radiation will decrease over time, but you need to be insulated from it during the decrease period. The best way to do this is to think about insulation. Things like mattresses, cushions, and thick blankets can provide you with this insulation. Even plastic sheeting taped along doors, windows, and any other opening to the outside will provide substantial protection. You will want to find a location near the core of your home, away from windows and airflow from the outside world. Here, you can create an insulated shelter in a closet or hallway 
that will put the maximum distance between yourself and the fallout outside. So there's a, a graphic here that shows different, you know, like one story homes, two story homes, apartment buildings and things like that. Then and where you could go, I guess, where the uh, the higher number indicates more protection for you. So, for instance, uh, you know, being down in the basement in the brick concrete is going to provide a lot more protection for you than, of course, being in just, uh, you know, in your living room. But then this isn't taking into account sealing off your home as much as possible. So into this shelter, you should bring things like food, water, entertainment, and an emergency radio. As you can see, you might be holed up in there for a while to avoid as much radiation as possible. So be prepared for that. Listen to the radio so you can stay on top of radiation levels and how your area is being affected. These broadcasts will also tell you when it's safe to go outside again. And of course, he didn't cover sanitation here, but that's going to be something that you're going to want to cover if your interior room has a connection to a restroom. That's going to be something that you're going to definitely need if you're there for a couple of days waiting it out. All right, so addressing demands that follow a nuclear disaster. A nuclear disaster is a very scary thought. Depending on the size and scope of nuclear disaster, we could see a variety of failures in public service. These will have the biggest impacts on life after the disaster. If we see critical infrastructure like water treatment, power and waste management services disrupted, you will quickly feel the effects. Now, contrary to popular belief, a nuclear blast, assuming it is a single event, is much more manageable afterwards than other types of events. In situations like Chernobyl and Fukushima, radioactive waste is dumped for days at a time or longer in massive quantities. Bombs and power plant disasters are two very different things. If you are in an area facing a meltdown of a power plant, you must leave immediately. The condition of the land and water will be so bad it is irrelevant. However, if you find yourself managing fallout from a nuclear blast, you should consider these four things to be best prepared. Number one, food and water. You can count on your sealed food and water in a nuclear disaster. They will be fine to eat and drink. Don't grab food from your garden or water from your rain barrels. These will have nuclear particles on them for some time. Second is backup power. The effect on your local power grid is going to be substantial. Multiple city blocks will be obliterated. Don't look for power to be back on for some time. The same can be said for Wi-Fi signals. So be sure that you have other options like solar or a generator. Then there's security. Unfortunately, in times of severe distress, people may act in their own self-interest and try to take things. Even a nuclear bomb won't keep the bad people away. You need to have a means to secure that food, water, and backup power. I will let you decide how you plan to do that, but my first option is a 12-gauge shotgun deterrent. And then lastly, first aid. Emergency services are going to be busy, to say the least. The most self-sufficient you can be when treating illness and injury, the better off you will be. This doesn't mean avoiding the proper care if you need it, but just be prepared to be turned away and have another option. Consider reading this if you have a medical condition. So there's links all throughout here, guys. So um, if you're interested in this, and of course, if, you, if you've never seen that nuke map, you're going to want to go check it out. So click on some of these other links. They'll be helpful. All right, so next up are five nuclear-specific preps. There are certain preps that really lend themselves to preparing for a nuclear disaster. 
Take a minute to explore these five below. You might find that you are more prepared for a situation like this than you thought. So number one is potassium iodide tablets. These tablets find a home in the nuclear disaster kits of most preppers. These small pills are used to saturate your thyroid, which will keep your body from allowing radiation to spread throughout it. These tabs are cheap and are easy to get your hands on. They are not top secret stuff anymore. So be sure you have enough for your family and maybe some extra to spare. The benefits of these tablets are measurable immediately after a nuclear disaster. All right, so let me talk a little bit about this. I'm not a expert here. I am not a medical professional, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So you need to go do your own research. But I'm just going to share with you things that I have read before in the past. So the potassium iodide really, like if you only had a certain amount, you really want to give those to the kids. Um, the kids, you want them to be able to protect their thyroid. From what I remember, if I'm correct, after a certain age, like I think 45, 50, whatever around there, then it's not going to be as much of a help to you, right? The potassium iodide won't, won't be as much of a help. Now, I can tell you that if I was in this situation, I'm going to be taking potassium iodide pills. I'm going to be doing that. But I have enough for everybody, right? And so I think they're cheap. Like the article said, they're cheap. Go ahead and invest in some. Put them in a tote and, you know, in, in or your first aid cabinet and you're good to go. And you have that. And I have more. I have, you know, if people were with us, I'd have more that I'd be able to give them. But for sure, I want to make sure that I'm giving it to the kids because I want to make sure that they are, you know, their thyroid is, is safe, right? The other thing to remember about potassium iodide, that it is not like an immunity to radiation, right? So you can't take potassium iodide and then go walk around in radiation. It's nothing like that. Potassium iodide is only, only, only going to protect your thyroid. That doesn't mean that other things can be damaged, right? So that's just FYI there. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, again, I'm not a doctor, but the thyroid, if it took radiation in, it would just kind of sit there and it would be, I mean, of course, it's bad for your whole body, right? But uh, it, it's really e even worse if your thyroid gets it. So you want to make sure that you are taking, you know, you have the potassium iodide. So it's not like a, an immunity. It's not medicine, like it, to, to pop some medicine, some Advil, some Motrin, whatever. And be like, hey, I can go out to the radiation for a couple of hours. Don't think it's, it's anything like that. But again, you need to do your own research on potassium iodide. So you're, you, you feel more comfortable with it and having it in case something like this goes down. And I'll just tell you, when Fukushima went down, I remember that back in the day, you couldn't find potassium iodide anywhere. Like Amazon was completely gone. People that had it stocked up and they were selling it were completely gone and because everyone was freaking out that it was going to get worse than it was. You know, people were talking about that it was going to you know, completely ruin the, the oceans and stuff. And really, some people will tell you that uh, there has been a lot of damage, more damage than, that, that they're telling you. But again, that's another article and uh, maybe someone will write one here real soon and we can jump into that one. I know there was a lot and there was websites that were tracking radiation for many years after Fukushima happened. All right, so number two are, are radiation counters. So a much larger investment than the iodide tablets, a radiation counter or radiation measurement device is going to tell you exactly how much radiation is in the air. There will be no guessing here. While these are expensive preps, 
I think if you are near a nuclear power plant, it might be worth having. You never know when you might need it. Third, baking soda. Baking soda or soap and water are the keys to radiological decontamination. You know, it's not like you need a secret serum to decontaminate yourself. You will need something like something to scrub your hair and body with. Baking soda is pretty common or is a pretty common prep and you are likely storing it already. Next up, a respirator mask. While fallout on the body can be washed away, fallout in the body is going to do serious damage. If you inhale micro fallout particles, it's going to affect your lungs first and your whole body over time. A quality respirator is a very important prep to have on hand in case of a nuclear disaster. Check out these respirators to add to your stash. And then number five is eye protection. Eyes are another area that can be affected by fallout. Maybe you rub your eyes with a sleeve and not understand what you are doing. This is very dangerous and will spread that material throughout your body as well. So be sure to have something to cover your sensitive parts immediately after a nuclear event. All right, so I want to add a couple of things here, things that you might want to consider uh, that I think would be a must-have. So that would be personal protection uh, equipment, and that's like putting on uh, a suit, right? Like a suit that you could put on. Now, those are, and I'm not talking about like the full-on, you know, uh, nuclear respirator, the whole, you know, not nuclear respirator, but respirators like you see in the movies and stuff like that. I'm just talking about those suits that you could put on if for whatever reason, let's just say you're hunkered down, but you have to go outside, right? And so you're able to put these on and you're able to strip them off, you know, like at your door before you walk in and you're be, you're able to put them, you know, in a trash bag or something like that. And so uh, have more protection. So you have that, uh, you know, that personal protective equipment that you can, that you could have along with the eye protection, along with the respirator. And then the other thing I'm going to say is things to cover up your windows and things to uh, inductate, right? So you could have plastic sheeting. You can go get that at Home Depot. I mean, I use it like when I uh, want to kill off a lot of weeds, you know, when I finish gardening or whatever, uh, I'll put the, the black sheeting down. And so it will kill off all those weeds because the, the black plastic just gets so hot and no weed will come popping up, you know, after that. So you can buy that pretty cheaply, big rolls of it. And so if you were going to tape off in, you know, in interior room or you needed to, uh, to protect yourself, you can use this. Of course, you still need to have a little bit of airflow. So you don't want to completely seal yourself off and then die because you run out of oxygen. But that's one of the things that I would do as much as possible is I would, you know, seal off everything. So duct tape and then plastic sheeting, you can add that to your preps. And th that's not very expensive. You would use those things for so many other things too, right? So you can, you know, th those are just good things to have. So make sure you are ready now. The threat of nuclear disaster is more complex than most people think. Every radiological disaster is different. The most important takeaway is to understand what items you need to add to your inventory to assure you can respond to such a disaster. The one thing that all nuclear disasters have in common is that they inflict serious damage either from blast radius, radiation, or both. No matter what the situation, you must act in a nuclear disaster. Having the knowledge and the right preps 
will help, but in most instances of fallout and radiation, you are going to fall back on two major skills. The first being patience, and you can safely wait out radioactive fallout. That is the best move if you are on the outskirts of the disaster. The other skill is going to be your evacuation or bug out skills. If you are too close to an area and the radiation is hazardous, well, you have no choice but to leave. For those in the blast radius of a modern-day nuclear weapon, well, there aren't really any preps that will help you. The best thing you can do is to be prepared for the worst and hope and pray for the best. Alright guys, so that's it for this article again coming to us from thesimpleprepper.com. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Hey, when I think about nuclear, uh, nuclear articles, nuclear radiation, all that kind of stuff, there was a, a, a television show that was kind of burned into my memory. I don't know if it's, some of you will remember it. It's called Testament. It's uh, it was it came out in 1983, right? So I mean, I was you know I was like in fifth grade, sixth grade, so I was old enough to to know what was going on, and I just remember it, you know, so vividly. And it was, if you're looking for it, it was with Jane Alexander. She plays the wife, and then William. Uh, Devane, he plays uh, the husband, but he, you know, if you haven't seen it, um, spoiler alert, right? I mean, he he doesn't he doesn't live, but it, it's very interesting. It's about you know, the you know after a nuclear war or nuclear you know radiation fallout bombs all that kind of stuff that that a suburb deals with. So the the main blast was you know in the city. And so they they don't necessarily deal with the blast aspect of it. They're dealing with the fallout aspect, and they're you know they're dealing with uh, what do we do after all of this? And so people you know are dying because of radiation poisoning and all that kind of stuff. It's been such a very long time since I've seen it, uh, and I, you know I want to go see it again. It might look kind of hokey now, I guess, compared to the, to the things that are out there. But some of you probably remember it. It's called Testament. And if you've never seen it, maybe you can, you know, search it and search for it and find it and you can watch it. But, uh, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, when you're a kid and you, you watch something like that, it kind of gets burned into your memory, right? And so I'm sure those of you that maybe are a little bit older, maybe those of you that are a little bit younger might have the same kind of uh, reaction to another movie when I start talking about radiation and nuclear and all of that kind of stuff. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 554. Hey, I hope you have a great weekend. Remember, if you're looking for more preparedness information, you can always come over to PrepperWebsite.com. We link to articles there 24-7, you know, somewhere between 8 to 12 articles, sometimes even more, every single evening. And uh, it's the best of what is out there. And so you can come to one location and, and kind of bounce off of there. If you've never come to Prepper website, it's like it looks like the Drudge Report. It's actually a Drudge Report type theme that I use, and it just makes it very easy to navigate. You know that all the new stuff is going to be at the very, very top. And so I have a bunch of other things as well. I have like alternative news uh, pages, and that page, the Alt News Hub, is probably the most popular page other than the main page. Uh, because people are always looking at it for alternative news, right? I just have a ton of it there that updates all the time. And you can get to that by the drop-down menus on the top right-hand corner. So I have the Alternative News Hub. There's DIY pages. 
conspiracy theory if you're into that, firearms, frugal living, just a bunch of great stuff there. So if you're looking you know, for our extended holiday or extended weekend, if you are looking for more preparedness information, you can go and check that out. I welcome you to come and there's always a lot of good stuff. And then also I'm going to say I hope you have a great Resurrection Sunday. I know some of you that are listening are not believers, uh, but uh, those of you that are, I know it's one of our very big Sundays that we always look forward to. I mean, every Sunday is important, but it's one that you know we tend to celebrate the resurrection on on that Sunday. And so I hope you have a really great uh, Sunday experience, a Sunday worship, and then also have great a great time with family and friends as well. All right, and so with that, hey, don't forget if you are not subscribed to the Prepper Website Podcast, you can head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and link to all the other podcast networks that are out there. We're on we're on Apple Podcasts, on Google, we're on uh, Stitcher, on TuneIn, on Spotify, and uh, so we make it really easy for you to subscribe to the podcast and you make sure that you get them on a regular basis. Like I said. We do this every evening, uh, Sunday through Thursday, so that you have the podcast in your podcast catcher for your morning commutes Monday through Friday. And that way, if you subscribe, you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And don't forget to take a moment and connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next week, Stay prepped and aware. Peace.